Well, I'm back. How are you? Oh, it sounds phenomenal. How are you doing this morning? Good. All right. I hope you're alive, awake, enthusiastic, even though there's snow on the ground. It's okay. If this is your first, if, this, if you're a freshman, a uh, couple of years ago, my, I think my, was my, the year my daughter was born, so 2003 years ago, 2017, I shoveled, I had my snowblower out. Um, oh, it was the year, no, this, no, it was the year after, um, 2018, I had it out April 17th, so uh, just when you think spring is here, the plow trucks come back out, so uh, you uh, just, just buckle in for that. I want to thank everybody that made my wife's uh, moment yesterday in the lobby very embarrassing. Um, she about killed me. Uh, if you don't know it, they went saying happy birthday and blew party horns and all kinds of threw confetti at my wife for her birthday yesterday. Um, uh, so that was very good, and we enjoyed a nice dinner, no kids. Uh, that was very nice. I love my kiddos. We missed them, but uh, at uh, Olive Garden last night, it's nice to have a new Olive Garden in Miami Falls. Um, I'm not opposed to other places, but I took my wife to an Olive Garden. She's like, can we just, you know, we were going to go to a place, I can't remember what it was, a couple months ago. Oh, it was the night before Junior came. And so we went to, out to eat, and uh, she's like, can we go to Olive Garden? I'm like, oh, it's kind of late to go down to the, you know, Blue Mound. She's like, no, it's just, let's just go here. I'm like, eh, I don't want to go here 91st. She's like, oh, it's okay, we'll make it. Well, that's the last time the police were there the entire time we were there. Inside the Olive Garden, it was a fight and a brawl and yelling at at loud decibels the entire time. It was not a very good Italian food at that moment. But we had a good time last night, and I even had a, my wife had a, one of those plates, they had a long plate, and the, the server wrote happy birthday in chocolate, and it had an amazing, like, chocolate lasagna, brownie, cake, chocolate, 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 chocolate. You know what I'm talking about? We had so much food. We went in there, bought a meal, came away with, like, a three-course meal. You ever had that? So it was great. Had a good time. And, uh, but uh, thank you for those of you that gave letters to her as well. That was very encouraging. All right, Isaiah chapter 6, please, this morning. I, uh, every time I'm asked to speak on music, I wrestle with the fact that most everybody in this room has heard what I'm about to preach. Except for the fact that even myself, 32 years old, I still don't get, always get what I'm about to preach. So the Lord always brings me back to this. And I think it's something we have to get and we have to understand and the world in which we live and what's going on today in our circles, so to speak, and we have to understand who God is, and I hope we'll do some practical helps today. Uh, just so you know, I'm going to end at 10 till, and then I will start a choir with some of the videos that I showed last year. I will show them in the freshman one morning, you guys get a kind of a wake-up call. I'm not going to do it right now because I can't, with you guys facing here, I have to be in the booth, and it'd kind of be odd to have a chapel service with the speaker in the booth yelling at you. So, choir, we're switched. We're a little bit different. I'll have you in 10 minutes later. So, while I'll do the first 10, 15 minutes of choir, I'll, I will give you some of the practical uh, showing of what, we, what I do last year and a couple of new things as well, um, just to kind of give, especially you freshmen, a wake-up call that what we're talking about and what we stand for is no small thing, okay? Um, you know, you come into school... And a lot of you come from different backgrounds. Well, all of you, you come from much different backgrounds. Some of you come from 
uh, Falls Baptist or churches like these. Some of you uh, maybe not so uh, maybe not so strong and standards-wise. So maybe some of you have come in and you've been surrendered to the Lord for years. You've been on track for the Lord. Maybe some of you come in and that you are literally days, days past your uh, surrender to the Lord coming to BCM and you've gotten right about music and different things and you're barely, you're just here, okay? And some of you, I, I've, I've known people that have, have had that happen and you know who you are and it's, not, it's, no, it's no problem. You just are fresh off of the, off of the, of the world and uh, it's amazing to see what God's doing in your life. And so you come from, come in, you look at the handbook, and you look at some of the rules, and you're like, I can't listen to that, and what's up with this, and whoa. And the questions are always, why, why do you have those strong standards? Let me tell you this one thing. I don't know, honestly, of many colleges, if any, and I think I could count them under on one hand, and maybe less and fewer than that, of colleges that actually check music of their students. Um, you say, yeah, why, why do you do that? Well, I don't trust you. Oh, that's mean. I don't trust myself. Do you check your own music? Well, yes, I do, actually. Um, I check what I do because I, I need to do what is right. I'll tell you this. Um, the older I've gotten, do you think the older I've gotten, the more liberty I've given myself or the less liberty I've given myself? By far less. They go, why, Mr. Van? Well, Yesterday's message, can you help you with that? Your heart, you know, you start making decisions, you start seeing what God does in your life. You say, I don't want, I don't want part of that. I don't want part of that. But the longer I go along, I want to be an example. There's things that may not be a problem, but I want to be an example to each one of you, to those around me, and be able to strengthen. And I will tell you the biggest thing is I have a little two-year-old daughter, three-year-old daughter. I was just telling somebody yesterday. We were at a restaurant. Uh, we were out. Um, it was my, somebody gave us a gift card, myself, my wife, and uh, Lindsay, and then the two kids were sitting there at Culver's and going along, and all of a sudden, I look over, and my daughter is not just moving with the music, she is um, jiving with the music. She's not even thinking about it, she's eating her chicken nuggets, and she, I won't, I won't replicate what she did. <laughs> and the three of us, my wife and Lindsay, we all each other went, oh boy, it was, it was, it was really bad and hilariously funny at the same time. I wish I would have gotten a video to show it for class, like, oh, no, music music does not affect people at all. No, no, not at all. It was horrible. I mean, she's just sitting there. I mean, she is giant. She doesn't hear the music. She knows it's bad. She calls it bad. She wasn't even thinking it was affecting her. And uh, it's a big deal. I mean, I, I don't want my two-year-old daughter, three-year-old daughter jamming out on that music. I hate going to those stores, and I hate going to those places. And sometimes I'll have to, if it's so loud and so pervasive, I have to get her out, get Daniel out, because Daniel will be looking around, looking to listen to what's going on. They're very aware of that. You look at young people, they're very aware of that. It's very pervasive in our culture. So I'm aware of that. My home has to be a safe haven. My daughter, I was just talking to my wife about this yesterday, everywhere she goes, she has to have music on. In the car, Daddy, turn on the music, please. You know, we're at the kitchen table. Hey, Daddy, can you turn on the music in the, in the CD player? Everywhere. It's either that or the Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> you got to have music on in the house. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. And every time I play, she's like, what is that? And then, like, uh, rock Rachmaninoff, piano concerto. Uh, how do I explain this to a three-year-old? It's a piano piece, <laughs> piano concerto. But she's always listening to music, always loves that. I'll tell you that, it's, it's, it's a huge part of our life. But I don't want that raw music coming in. Now, the question is, how do you know what's wrong and right? Now, I will be asked for the rest of my life, what about this piece? What about this CD? What about this thing? Let me tell you this, though. I'm not the end-all, and our church isn't the end-all, and this college isn't the end-all, and no music person's the end-all, no preacher's the end-all of what's right or wrong, right? 
This is the end all. And a lot of times we get stuck in thinking, oh, Mr. Van can answer my questions. He can say that, or this person can, or my pastor can. Or, no, if you don't know how to get a hold of the word of God. I remember being years ago being struck with the fact, talking to pastors, Pastor Zempel, Dr. Zempel, uh, Zempel here, his dad. If you don't know him, you should know him, get to know him. He's a great guy. He's around for the conference. But uh, he talked to me one time. He plays tuba. He's awesome. If you've ever seen him play tuba, it's worth, it's worth, it's worth the price of admission. It's great. Love him. Love him playing tuba. But he, uh, he's a great tuba player. But he's not really what you would call a musician. I mean, he plays tuba, but other than that, it's not like he's deep into the music world. But he told me, I, I, he said, there's some songs. He, was, he asked me one time about a song. He said, but I just know down deep this is not right. He says, I just know. I prayed about it. This song is not right. We're not going to do it. Did he, give a, did he give a musical reason? No. Between him and God, he understood what was right and wrong. Now, I always ask this question to my class. Okay? With God, are there any gray areas? Is there right and wrong with God? Is there truth? Truth and Okay? So we go into, look at this music, and I will tell you, in almost every other area, every other area in life, except for music, dress, and some other things, what is, there's a right and a wrong, right? You don't, you, you should smoke cigarettes or you don't smoke cigarettes, okay? It's wrong to smoke them, and it's, it's, it's right not to smoke them, and there's no gray area of like a half, like let's do, you know, vaping. As Christians, right? Do we ever hear about that? Now we're starting the alcohol thing starting to come along that last couple of years. Let's, you know, there's shouldn't drink, should we drink, okay, right and wrong. Well, you can kind of do the middle. But it's amazing how Christians take right, and by the way, the world knows it's right and wrong. I don't go into that. That's not the point of this message. But the right and wrong, Christians love to swerve into the middle lane like there's like there is some middle lane and drive down the median and say, this is correct. You know, we talk about, and I'm going to put it in stark terms, I do this in my class, we talk about, you know, uh, the, the, the wicked vices of, uh, of, of drinking or of pornography or immorality, right? And you would, you have this whole title of Christian rock music. Well, you've heard this, but I want you to think about it for a second. You would never say this is Christian alcohol. They might make the excuse they could drink it, or socially drink it, but they wouldn't call it Christian alcohol. This is a Christian carton of cigarettes, so you're okay. You know, it's not as bad. It's, you know, it's not over the line. You know, it's only half the nicotine or whatever else junk is in there. You know, it's only half the alcohol. This is, and I always put this in my class, and this is always, this is always a little bit shocking. This is Christian pornography. You would, then that's, 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 that's beyond the pale, thinking about something like that. Christian, you put that, but you put it in front of music. Oh, oh, that's okay. Christian music. And you can do anything. And you're in my class. Chris, uh, uh, you're going to find this out next week. Or next week, not next week. Yeah. Next year, freshman. But in that class, I'll tell you this. What do Christians, actually, I'll ask, my, I'll ask my three years of classes in front of me here. What does the contemporary world call Christian music? Four words. Christians involved in music. Do you see a problem with that? Freshman, do you see a problem with that? Definition. Christians involved in music. So let's pull out the worst rap song there is, or the worst country song there is, or the worst rock and roll song there is, and if it's done by a Christian, it's fine. It's Christian music. 
Okay? It's a problem. But that's the way we're going. That's, the, that's, the, that's, that's where we're headed. We have fundamental Baptist churches with drum sets, they call themselves independent Baptist churches, with drum sets on their stages doing complete contemporary services. The whole lead up, lead down, and the whole song at the end. You know, I'm going to tell you this right now. I would much rather do holy, 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 not I but Christ, to God be the glory at the end of a service than some lead off by a band with guys in ripped jeans who probably are checked out on their phone the entire time the, the pastor's preaching, and they're just kind of playing some music to kind of get you off and get you home. I'd rather play some. I was thinking about that during, this, during the conference this week. I was thinking, man, this is incredible, that, that we can sing about and praise God and worship God with these songs at the end of a service after the preaching. I mean, wow, what an incredible way to, to, to show uh, our, our worship and our praise to, to God. But unfortunately, we have our independent churches that have completely jumped into the tank of the contemporary, and I'll show you that in, in the next hour. But I want to focus in, we're in Isaiah 6, I want to focus in on, on worship, the word worship. It's an overused word. It's a wrongly used word, I believe. But really about true worship. But you can't understand worship, young people, until your attitude about God is correct. Yesterday, we talked about your heart. If your heart's not right, your attitude about God is not going to be right. I think young people, we, sometimes if we grew up in a Christian home, sometimes we think of God as on the end, and I talk about this in my class, on the end of one of those old uh, you know, pull, pull ropes in those old hotels. I was, we stayed in the one uh, on our honeymoon in Silverton, Colorado, way up in the mountains. And they had it, it wasn't connected, but they had this old rope sitting there right next to the bed. And if you wanted, you know, breakfast in bed, ding, here comes the person to the door, whatever. You know, you just, you pull it and somebody comes service uh, for you. Uh, that's not God. But a lot of times we grow up in this mindset of, hey, God needs something. Hey, God needs something. Hey, hey, God, down here, right here. And you bring God down to your level. Do you know God is the creator of the world? He's not to be brought down. By the way, we can try to bring him down to our level, but he, he's not brought down to our level. When we try to bring him down to our level, it's false worship. We'll talk about that. But our attitude about God, and I think this is the, where it has to start, our attitude about God has to be correct for us to worship correctly. So true worship, we're going to talk about true worship this morning, and it's going to be about our lives as well. And it's going to apply to our music, our personal music choices as well. But we have to understand this. Isaiah chapter 6 we know this chapter. I've preached on it several times here. Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Can you just imagine being in any location like this? And knowing it's God, he's on the throne, he's lifted up. I mean, I give the illustration, I'll give it again just because I think it's helpful. But if you were asked to go meet the president right now, okay, we've had the uh, privilege of meeting the governor, obviously, and being almost becoming friends with, really becoming friends with the governor over the years. But there's something different about the president. How many of you ever sh have ever had the privilege to shake hands with a living president at the time, they were, they were living at the time that you shook their hands, uh, they were a president at the time you shook their hands, that's, that's the way I was to put it, anybody at all, all right, 
just before anybody else? No, okay, anybody a candidate running for office before they were okay? All right. Um, I was, I, I shook George Bush's hand, I give this illustration before, but I shook his hand here in Milwaukee the day before 2004 re-election. It was one of the most amazing moments of all time uh, for me, just because it was the president. Here he comes, he comes down afterwards, and the whole time he's speaking, I'm two rows out. So literally, like this line right here where these guys are sitting, I'm right there on the second row, but the lady in front of me was like, you know, chest high, so she wasn't very tall. So I was right there, and he did his signature W, you know, like his things like that. He would wink it, and he was looking right at me. I'm like, right, and it's like, this is so cool. You know, there are guys up in the top deck, and they're like, man, he waved at me. I'm thinking, there's 40,000 people up there. They can't, how are you waving at you? But he was looking at me. It was really neat. I was in high school, so I, I mean, he was right there. It was like me looking at Taylor. I mean, it was that close. And he would look at me, you know, three or four times throughout the speech. He might have been recognized me. But then he swung around, and he shook my hand. And I said, praying for you, President Bush. You know, so good to meet you. And he said, thank you. I can't remember all of it. He said, I was kind of in the days, you know, this is the president. It was kind of a neat experience. 2012, I was about this close from shaking Mitt Romney's hand. I'm actually glad I did not. Um, <laughs> glad to not shake the hand of Benedict Arnold. Okay, um, but <laughs> he's more popular with Democrats than he is with Republicans. 23% of Republicans like him. I think 80% of Democrats like him. Sorry. All right. Um, but there's that feeling, though. I remember that feeling. I, was, I missed getting into the Donald Trump rally a couple, about a month ago. And you know, it was like, yeah, we're about to see that. Oh, we missed it. The seat I was going to have was next to Micah Roberts, and it was literally six rows from where the president walked in. It's OK. I missed it, but that's all right. But that feeling you see when you have, like, it's the president. Or how many of you ever seen a sports star, baseball, basketball, up close? Or you've shook their hands up close? All right. What, you know, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Okay. They're not special people, but it's just a, they're, they're well known. So if you were asked to be in the president, it's president's presence, if you were asked to go to the White House, how would you go? What was your, I mean, I don't, what, what, you, you all probably have pretty positive attitudes towards our president, okay? How would you go? You would not go, and we give this illustration, you would not go in your paint clothes. You wouldn't go in your jogging clothes. You wouldn't go in your PJs. Some of you would be like, how? How can I get money to buy a new suit right now, right? How can I get a, a new outfit? And ladies, you'd be worried about your hairstyle and the makeup and all these different things. You'd be very worried, guys, you know, smelling good, right? And then you'd figure out, hey, what's the protocol to meet the president? I mean, do I shake his hand? But I'm in the old office. What, what do I do? Like, like, do I talk? Do I say, right? You'd be worried about that. I would. If you wouldn't, you, you need to start thinking about uh, meeting people like that, okay? Because you'd have, you don't, you don't just barge in. I mean, it would be beyond belief if we went to the, you know, we went, and let's just, uh, let's, use, uh, let's use Josiah Reed as a, as, a, as a case study here. So we walk into the Oval Office, and Josiah runs past all of us, walks up, gives the, gives the commander-in-chief a bro hug, was like, what's up, Trump? Trump 2020. He probably would be okay with that. <laughs> probably, actually. This whole coronavirus thing, he's still shaking hands at rallies. Uh, just him. He'd probably be okay with that. But would that be the right way to meet the president? Uh, no, that would be incorrect. Probably only allowed for his grandchildren to do something like that, to run into the Oval Office and do that for him. You would walk in, nervous, scared, very sweaty palms probably, shake his hand in the Oval Office of all things. I mean, it's to be amazing. It's a very small place if you've ever been to a replica of it or if you've been there itself, if you've seen it on a tour in the White House. 
I've never, I've been to the Reagan Museum. It's amazing. But folks, it's only the Oval Office. It's only the President of the United States, a human being. Isaiah was transported to the throne room of God. Now, we've all, at times, been transported there. Never for real, like Isaiah was, but we've experienced prayer meetings, maybe our, in, our, in our own times. I know I have with myself or with uh, my spouse, with my wife, or in prayer meetings in church, where it was, the, the glory of heaven was shown down. And you experienced that. I remember that time, I don't remember how long ago, Pastor, give it right, with Brother Kittrell, what year was that? Oh, five. Talk about, <laughs> talk about conviction. Remember I said I didn't like, you know, I, it's, prayer meetings were not always the greatest thing in conference because I wasn't always right with God. Dr. Kittrell started asking some questions, and it was, a, how, I don't know how long the prayer meeting was. Three hours? Over three hours. Afternoon session, bam. I was a high schooler, and I was up in the front steps, and I just remember being struck by the fact this was no ordinary prayer meeting, number one, but that I was in the presence of God that entire time. And it was overwhelming. And there's times like that I've had in my life where we've had family gatherings, so different things have happened, miracles have happened. My 10th grade year with my brother Wayne, and God's presence was there. God did something, and I'm struck by the fact that I'm in God's presence right now. But we try to replicate that in our services. And you know I, try to, I, I talk to you as musicians a lot. But who are we? What's our attitude about God? We walk into a service, we just open our mouths and sing, raise that faithfulness. Checkbox, done with that hymn, let's sit down. Announcements, okay, next hymn, where's that? Okay, sing, checkbox, sit back down. We call it a worship service because we're supposed to be worshiping God. And it's corporate worship together, but it's you and God. To be transported into the throne room of God and your heart and your attitude about God. In Isaiah 6, that throne room is an incredible thing. And what does he say? Woe is me, for I am undone. His first response is not, wow, this is amazing. It's not, man, this is amazing to worship. I can't, this is amazing. I'm so pumped. I get to sing to the, I get to worship. No. His first response is, I, I can't even open my mouth. I am a sinful man. We're going to get there in just a moment. But true worship, number one here this morning, is done in the beauty of God's holiness. There's verses, and for time's sake, I won't go through all of them, but Psalm 29, 2, talking about worshiping God and the beauty of his holiness. Really what that means is a purity, that focus on the purity of worship, the holiness overwhelmed with who he is. You know, the holiness of God is a fearful and awful thing, if you think about it. But it's pure, it's right. And if you think about the beauty of God's holiness, it's overwhelming, but it's pure. It's, it's radiant. And it's heavenly. And I will tell you, if we worshiped God truly in the beauty of his holiness, can you imagine our church services, what they'd be like? Not just in Falls of this church, but around the world. But you look at some of these videos. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't take anything to figure out that's not in the beauty of God's holiness. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. Dancing around and trying to get some kind of 
conjured up. I, I, I listened to a, I saw a video of a drummer. I, was, I think I talked to the, I was actually saying this to the whole choir orchestra. But a drummer that played for one of the big mega churches in the States here, and he had a little video, he had like a blog going on. And in the, the playing, before they played, they had this, okay, we're going live in 10, 9, 8, 7. And it's the video that you can see the people in the front doing their, doing their jumping around and singing, the, the worship leaders. And they start playing, and then they go, okay, to introduction. Okay, down to the break. And first verse. And all, it's all in the ears. It's all what he's hearing. And it's all planned out. How is that worshiping God in the beauty of his holiness? Now, obviously, we plan out. I mean, we're not just playing random stuff when we play, okay? We're not just like, randomly think, throwing the music in the air and whatever comes down. There's obviously, obviously has to be order. But the entire service, those things are scripted out. And it, it was almost disturbing. There's a full click track. We've <laughs> been in recordings. There's a full click track to their worship service. Completely. I'm not kidding. That's why they had those little ear things in there. Everything it was... was it wasn't worse to be God in the beauty of holiness. It was worse to be God. The guy literally went. He's like, I checked my box, got my coffee, and I went home, took a nap. Nah, good day. Get my gig. Basically, he said, my gig at the church. That's the way he treated it. There was no spiritual references at all, not even talking about God. He literally played his drum thing and left. Worship be God in the beauty of his holiness. You know, we talk about this. I'm not going to go into it all, but God has some standards. God has Holiness demands standards. God's holiness is perfection, and it demands us to worship. And there's three biblical examples that I give in my class, and you'll hear this over and over. But I think they're perfect examples to, to think about, and I'll just mention them and go on. But the three examples in a, that I mentioned are about, uh, first one is Cain and Abel. Cain's offering was rejected. Abel's was accepted. I'm not going to go into it more, just have to say that God accepts and rejects, right? God has standards. You know, you God, God is wanting to be worshipped a certain way. And you have Nadab and Abihu, a little bit more, even more clear, in Leviticus chapter 10. Two brothers who grew up in the, the tabernacle. They knew how to worship God correctly, right? You pastor's kids, ministry kids, deacon's kids, missionary's kids, you know, you've been around it. You understand. And then we go in and we have the gall to worship God the wrong way. They came in, offered strange fire, and what did God do? He killed them. Aren't you glad? I talked to my class about that. Aren't you glad God doesn't kill us for the things that he killed people in the Old Testament for? I'd have been dead a long time ago for disrespecting my dad. I've <laughs> been a long time ago. Man, arguing, boom. I've been, been gone. You know, any, I mean, there were some things that were pretty strict, and I'm glad we have those examples. Uzzah, 2 Samuel 6. And this, I think, is a very stark illustration. David, we think he's really trying to do what God wants him to do, right? But he puts the ark on that cart. And you, don't, you, you can make too much of this, but listen, who did the cart first? We talk about this every year, but who did that cart? The Philistines. It wasn't a biblical command. It was against what God had. They were supposed to hold that ark of the covenant, and yes, it would have been a long way. The last time I checked, guys walk into the water with the ark, Right? They were trekking all the way through the wilderness with that thing. It wasn't too difficult to bring it a few miles to where David wanted to go. But David said, let's just shortcut it. Let's put it on a cart. Poor Uzzah, only doing what a human being and you and I would both do the same when that thing starts to tip over. Can you imagine? There goes our national treasure. Goes to steady it down and he's, he's dead. 
God's serious about the standard of worship, who he is, his holiness. I just want to make this point. I'm not going to make too many applications on that point. I want to say this. God has a standard for you in your life. Did you know that? Did you know that? He has a standard that he wants you for you in your life. You say, well, is the standard going to be the, the handbook? I tell my class every year, don't you dare take the handbook out when you graduate and say, this is what I'm going to follow the rest of my life. And on the other hand, don't say, yep, done with that. If you do that, young person, you're in serious trouble. Not with us, with God. You know what that means? I didn't care about it for the four years, two years, four years, five years, six years, whatever years I'm here. I didn't care about it anyways. I tell people all the time, I read the handbook once every year in college. Once. I didn't get a lot of demerits. Well, you were some pastor's kid. You didn't get in trouble. No, I didn't. I wasn't about to break any rules because I didn't. I wasn't going that path. Some people I knew that broke a lot of rules sometimes when I was in college, they knew every rule. They, they could quote you the page number of the rule. You know what's funny? They never followed the rule. They could quote them, but they didn't follow them. Young person, the handbook's not your standard. This is. The people that throw the handbook out are the people that haven't cracked the, this book for a while. Or learned from this book for a while. Or their hearts are hardened towards this book. It's nothing to do with Baptist College Ministry. Not for one second. It's you and God. God has used your parents. God has used your pastor. God has used teachers. And God uses Baptist College Ministry in your life to expose who you are. And it's your choice to say, God, I want to be who you want me to be, right? This brings me to the next point. True worship causes a strong awareness of sin. When you are brought into contact with who God is, you're aware of your sin. What, is, what does Isaiah say? I'm, I'm, a, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Go in the midst of the people of unclean lips. His first reaction, strong awareness of sin. I will tell you this, in a general sense, we have lost that in our churches. We've lost that. When you walk into a church service, you are not overwhelmed with conviction of your sin. You're just not. The, 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 church, the, the preaching, you, you used to be able to say that a lot of the preaching in these Southern Baptist churches, and some of them, that the preaching was really, really, really good, but the music stunk. Now the preaching is starting to just soft sell. And there's not many churches left in the contemporary world, in the new evangelical world, that actually have strong preaching. Churches are, have lost that. Independent Baptists, some of the messages are really biblical, like they're really expository, but the application, not there. I saw a pastor, he did a whole sermon series on social issues, poverty. I am really certain that the Lord wants me to be worried about poverty. I'm not saying that very, in any funny way. Really, I, I, I need to pray and help, but I will tell you this, that's not a Sunday morning message. Because if your heart's not, why, why are you going to help with that? Poverty, all the social issues are important to make sure the Bible, it's biblical issues to take care of the ones that are hungry. And the and, and Bible tell you, their soul's more important. That's not being talked about. Sin issues, you don't hear it hardly at all. It's, 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 being, it's going. And I will tell you this, the music is part of the problem. You walk into these churches and you hear this music. I wouldn't be under conviction by this. I'd actually be under conviction that I was hearing it. <laughs> The other way. 
But some people are like, this is great, and they wave their arms, and they get all happy, and they get all emotional. It's a whole other discussion, a whole other lecture time in our in a, a class. And they get all emotional, and they get pumped up. And by the way, the new evangelical pastors, there's a movement of them that is, are sick and tired of the emotionalism of the music. because they're, they're, a, And I should have brought it, but I read this article. It's a pastor in Green Bay, and he says this. Very strongly, he says, the music is causing my people to think they're spiritual, think they're right with God. He said, these people don't tithe. They barely come to church. They don't give to the church in their, of themselves. They're up to their eyeballs in sexual immorality. He said, they're, they're, they're living, living lives, basically fraud, fraudulent lives, Christian lives. And he said, they walk out of my church and they think they're right with God. This is a new evangelical pastor of a mega church. He basically said, I'm sick and tired of this kind of music that gets my church all spiritual thinking, and they're not. He was worried about the conviction of sin in their lives. Interesting. And that's not the first one I've heard that has had that sentiment against the whole contemporary music movement. True worship causes a strong awareness of sin. In your personal lives, young people, you have to be careful because you can dull your senses what you listen to. I'm talking sacred music right now. You can dull your senses what you listen to and cause conviction of sin. I will say, I'll listen to some songs, some, some sacred songs, and I love when the truth of the words drill into me and they convict me. Okay? I, I love that. And by the way, the truth of the words, the words have to be good too. Some people say, I told you, that I, I, the one guy's like, oh man, this, this, these words are great. I said, why? Well, it has the word propitiation in it. Since when is that a good word to put in a song anyways? Like half the people you're reaching on the streets, you know, propitiation, let's go sing a song about that. I have no idea what that means, sir. It doesn't mean it's a good song. The song is, it's, it's a song is good because it has biblical truth. That's why it's a good song. I so appreciate, we had Dr. Paul preached about this, but we, I so appreciate, Brother Zemple, don't you appreciate somebody who produces songs, but songs aren't just fluffy words. They're biblical truth that you can understand, but they're biblical truth. It's not a verse to quote, but I will tell you this, how many times I've gone back to hardly the tune, but I've gone back to the second verse of Jesus is the only way. I tried to bear the truth each day, but fell and could not carry, carry through. I am the truth, I heard him say. Arise and I will carry you. I have sung that verse so many times in my life. Because I needed that. Conviction, help, encouragement. That's a song, folks. How many times? I woke open a hymn book one time. I was not doing well spiritually. I, I was off, and God was convicting me, and I was discouraged. And I opened a hymn book, and I was looking through some hymns on a Sunday morning. I was actually on ensemble, traveling, and I came across a hymn. I don't remember. I, can't, I wish I could remember what it was. And I remember reading some of the words, and I got to the second or third verse, and it overwhelmed me, and I just started to cry. And I turned to my wife, and I said, let's talk. And, I, and, I, and God, that moment, was able to get me through to the moment uh, to to, to close to him, able to preach, write with him. It was, the, it was an amazing thing. I opened a hymn book because the truth of the words was biblical truth, young people. It's what you're listening and what you're feeding yourself. Is it pointing you to Jesus Christ? Strong awareness of sin. True worship results in real life surrender. What's the first thing he does? He gets purged. The, 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 uh, <coughs> excuse me, the angel comes. He purges his lips. And I'm moving quickly here. And in verse number eight, boom, I heard the voice of the Lord. 
He's purged. He's clean. And the first thing he hears, by the way, that's a much bigger uh, application than what I'm talking about right now. Young person, you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm really confused. Get right with God and you'll find out. And you say, well, I have got right with God. I'm not sure. Well, God can give you one step at a time. Sometimes God gives people. I, I had a vision for my life from day one that was big and long and out there. Now it's different than what I thought, but I'm always a big long-term visionary. Some of you are just, your personality is a one-day visionary, right? Now till lunch, visionary. That's, about, that's all you got. 8 o'clock to 12 o'clock. You know what? If you ask God, he'll give you that vision for four hours in the next four hours. You walk with God. He'll do that. But I will tell you this. You got to get purged before you can do that. You got to get your heart right. You got to be walking with him. True worship results in real life surrender. Are you willing to say what Isaiah said? Here am I. Send me. Are you willing for that? By the way, a true worship service, by the way, worship includes much more than music. I should have mentioned at the beginning. It includes preaching. It includes prayer. It includes all that. Giving. But a true worship service, what happens? People come forward. People say, here am I, send me. And people go. Right? A true worship service, you turn around some of those churches, they say, you're entering the mission field. A true worship service has people turning around, leaving the auditorium saying, I can't wait to go and serve God with my life right now. That's a true worship service. Not, oh, I feel so good. And I've, you know, these people in some of these contemporary churches, yeah, I committed adultery this week, but I, you know, or I looked at this this week, but, you know, I stole from this place, but, you know, I feel great. I feel very, I, I'm in sync with what God has. That's unfortunately a lot of the churches right now. Number four, true worship is in spirit is in, and in truth. And we'll, you know, the verse John 4, let's turn over there quickly, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, true worship is in spirit and in truth. The whole chapter of woman at the well. Spirit and in truth, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He was helping this lady out because she was asking, you know, where and they worship here, and can I worship here? And God says, and Jesus says this, and let me just explain it about this in, in a um, kind of question and answer thing that I saw. It actually was really good. True worship must be in spirit that's engaging the whole heart, and really it's passion for God. But worship must be in truth that's properly, biblically informed knowledge about God. So if you have one or the other, spirit, it says here, without truth leads to shallow, overly emotional experience that can be compared to a high as soon as the emotion is over, when the fervor cools, the worship ends. Truth without spirit can result in dry, passionless encounter that easily leads to a form of joyous legalism. And this is really uh, well put. The best combination of both aspects of worship results in a joyous appreciation of God informed by Scripture. And you can go, obviously, deeper than that. But I will tell you this, sometimes we get all happy, and whoo, bam, down we go the next day. Man, I got a headache. I'm, yeah, I'm done. Right? Or I got truth, man, but you, you're, there's no passion. It's just, you know, I, I've got to do what's right. I just got to do what's right. Got to do what's right. You just kind of pl pl plunge on. Then you're on those people that have both. They're worshiping God the right way, right? And I'm telling you, they're excited, but they're biblically based. They're focused. They're balanced, biblically balanced people. And that's what God's telling us to do. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Have passion. Have emotion, yes, emotion that comes from God, but be biblically based. And young person, if you don't know your 
your Bible, if you don't know what God has for you, I asked this in my class, we need to spend a couple hours on it. What do you believe, young person? What do you believe? If you're a senior, graduating senior, what do you believe? Are you going to be a graduate that graduates and pew, catapults away from truth? Are you going to be one of those graduates that stands back here in this pulpit, stands in our church pulpit, stands in other pulpits and preaches the word of God with power because what you believe is based right here. Freshman, what do you believe? You know, it's easy to say I believe this, this, and this, but you know, I, my freshman year of college, I give this story a lot. I sat with a guy from another college, and my, myself and Bobby was the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. He asked me some music questions, and I literally had no idea what to say because all I knew was regurgitating what I had heard. Now, what I, what I, was, I brought up on was exactly really what I believe today, exactly. But I didn't come to that now today because of what I believe or, or what somebody else believed. I came around because God showed me that, and guess what? It's funny, by the way, when I took the time to learn what God had for me in my own life, guess what? It lined up with what I grew up with. It's interesting, isn't it? Young person, you might say, well, this is just Baptist College of Ministry. Did God lead you here? Why don't you take a moment and ask God, where do you really want me? Take BCM and your church and everything out of the equation. Say, God, where do you want me? Nothing else matters. Open your eyes, you'll probably be in the same place that everybody else is, that you were brought to, or pretty close. But a lot of times we say, well, I don't want to be as strict as that. I don't want to be as, we make our decisions based on, we make our decisions what we do based on other people's and the rule books and this and that and the other thing. And I will tell you what, that's no way to live, but this is the way to live. Your life should be a worship, worshiping God, everything in your life, your music, let me just ask this question in a specific application. I'll be done. Does the default sacred music in your life cause you to worship God and the beauty of holiness, to have a strong awareness of sin, to surrender your life, to worship God, passionately desiring Him? Does the default music you listen to, if once you're away from the college and the rules don't apply, if you, the music you go to, does that lead you to Christ? Truly? Not? Remember how you yes, last, we talked about yesterday, your heart can deceive you. Does it truly lead you to Christ? A lot of things that I could talk probably the next hours. You've been in my class. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing, passionate subject, and there's kind of rambled around a little bit today. But let me just say this. Young person, if you don't know what you believe, if you're not biblically based, if you're not worshiping God in your own life based on who God is and have a right attitude about him and a right focus and a right picture of who God is, then you will get off. You'll get off on music. You'll get off on dress. You'll get off on lifestyle choices. And by the way, the best arguers for those things, people that get off like that, they have a great, and they can make all the excuses. But this hasn't changed, young person. I grew up rubbing shoulders with older preachers all my life. Kind of had the same privilege as my dad. I didn't see all the, the battles that he was doing, but I got to travel. I was three years old, my first trip to Phoenix, Arizona. Little suit, tie, sat next to all the preachers. That was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a, <laughs> a little annoying three-year-old, but went several times to Phoenix, went to Indianapolis and Dayton, Ohio, and all the time with my dad, traveling around as a little preacher boy. Got to rub shoulders with these guys. I will tell you what, that really had an effect on my life because my whole paradigm was with men who walked, walked with God and who wanted to serve God. I have to make my own decisions today, but I'll tell you what, I know what's truth and reality. You do too. Maybe you haven't seen much of it in your life, but you've seen it. 
You saw it last week. You saw men of God broken before God, right? Saw some pastors giving some true testimonies. That was unbelievable. You've seen God work. You know what God can do. You know who God is. And you haven't seen a lot, but you do know. Young person, it's your decision. You're going to enter the throne room of God and worship God the way he wants you to worship him and make the practical applications in your life according to that? Are you going to say, eh, it's a little bit too strict. By the way, God, God hasn't changed. And I think we get to heaven, I think we're going to all find out we haven't been strict enough because he's perfect. It's God. The world has seeped into our system. So when we get our focus on God, we worship God in the way he wants to be worshipped and the way he deserves to be worshipped, it'll change everything about who we are. With every head bowed, every eye closed.